Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Welcome. Welcome to our 2017 Christmas weekend here at Desert Breeze. Good to have you with us. If you have your uh, sermon notes, grab those out. And also, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 3.16. And while you're doing that, this is what I would have you do. This is what I want you to do is turn to the folks sitting around you and ask them, what is their favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie. Real quick, do that. Okay, you've got, you have a list there of a uh, number of movies that you, you like. I've got a short list here. Maybe yours is on my short list here of just ones that came to mind. Home Alone, anybody thinking along those lines? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yep, Christmas Vacation. White Christmas, Christmas Story. How about this one? Anybody say Elf? Yeah. woo Elf. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. In fact, that's what the one I want us to kind of focus on here because I think it's a good segue for us for what we're going to talk about here this morning. The, the movie Elf, you guys familiar with it? It's about an orphan named Buddy played by Will Ferrell who is raised by elves at the North Pole based on a true story. Okay. Now, what's interesting here is that Buddy obviously doesn't fit in, and he's longing for love and acceptance, and he goes on this search for his real father. He goes into New York City and search for his real father, who sadly doesn't want to have anything to do with him, and you're going to have to watch the rest of the, you know, the movie. If you've never seen it before, it has a good ending, but this guy's struggling. Buddy is struggling, like we all do in life, and so I want to segue from that idea to look at your notes, part of the intro here. This is really an important point as we begin our, our teaching here this morning. There is not a more unshakable foundation for your life than to know that the God of the galaxies, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth, loves you. That he has your best interest at heart. There's not a more unshakable foundation, regardless of what you've gone through, whatever kind of rejection or struggle or pain or suffering, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, there's not a better foundation, an unshakable foundation for your life than to know that the God of the galaxies, the God of the universe, is a perfect father who lavishes you with his love unlike anyone else. He has your best interest at heart. Did you know that? See, here's the lie. Here's the lie that goes all the way back to the garden between Adam and Eve is that, that we are afraid that if we obey him, we're not going to be happy. That's a lie. That's the biggest lie. He has your best interest at heart, and no one loves you more, more than him. And, and that's kind of a foundational truth that as we uh, explore John 3, 16. But let me, let me share with you a little bit of a story. Back years ago, in the early days of Desert Breeze, I was doing the bivocational thing where I was working. I was with Phoenix Fire Department. I was a paramedic firefighter. Worked at Station 10. It was I-17 and Thomas Road. And, uh, and so what I do is I have to work my 24-hour shift. And then uh, if I work Saturday into Sunday morning, Saturday morning to Saturday morning to into Sunday morning, then I was like a little bit urgent that my relief got in early enough because I had to hop in my car, go down the freeway to Rose Garden Business Centers. That's where we were located at the time, Desert Breeze. And I would come there and have to preach two messages. Most of the guys all knew that, uh, that I was uh, a pastor, bivocational kind of doing that thing. And so I'll never forget this, uh, this particular morning. Uh, Larry, an old calloused Vietnam vet, probably never ever darken the door of a church, uh, he would always ask me, and I can, I can remember him just sitting in the straddle lounger in the TV room, and he always asked me, say, hey, Pastor Ray, uh, what are you teaching on this weekend or this morning? And I'll never forget this, that th that particular morning I was teaching on God's love, and I said, hey, Larry, I'm going to be teaching on the love of God. 
how much God loves us. And Larry kind of looked at me and was like, ah, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that God, God loves them. And I said, Larry, I, 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 I agree with you. I think most people would say that God is a God of love and God loves them. But Larry, how many do you think have really, really experienced his love? And then I said, Larry, let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced his love? I mean, it's one thing to know that he loves you, but have you ever had your heart ravished by his love? And then he responded to me by saying, get out of here. I mean, he's like, you're getting too intimate for me. It's like, ah. You know, and so, and, and that's so true. Listen to me. Listen. You can know that God loves you, but it's altogether another to experience his love. Here's what I want for you this morning as we, uh, we're going to meditate on, on John 3:16, and I don't want you just to know that God loves you. I, wanna, I want you to walk away from this service having a sense of his presence and his love on your heart. That's what I want because I, I will guarantee you that when you experience his perfect love, this is how I know I'm, I'm experiencing it. It's just not, it's not something that's intellectual, but it's very existential. It's very experiential. This is how I know that his perfect love chases away the fear, the envy, the despair, unlike anything else in my life. I know that when I'm resting in his love, his perfect love chases away all the junk in my life. That's when I know I'm really experiencing his love. That's what I want for you this morning more than anything. So most of you could probably quote John 3.16. How many could quote John 3.16? Show of hands. Okay, come on up here. Quote it for me. <laughs> you don't want to do that? It's, I'm sure you could. There's no doubt about it. We're going to do it all together here. It's up on the screen, John 3.16. It's there on your notes. If you turned there in your Bibles, let's do it together nice and loud. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse, my friends, is really the most popular and memorized verse in the Bible. And it gives us really the essence of the gospel. I love that verse. I absolutely love that verse. So we're going to take a section at a time and walk through that and just meditate on that verse. What does that verse mean? How does that apply to my life? How can I live in the reality of God's love? Now, here's the thesis statement. This is uh, kind of where we're headed with this study. You can see on your notes, you've got just a few fill in the blanks. But here's the thesis statement. The greatest lover has given us the greatest gift, which is the greatest invitation to the greatest life we could ever live. That's, that's really what that verse is all about. So let's take that first phrase, for God so loved the world. Here's your first fill in the blank, the greatest lover, the greatest lover. So one of the factors for measuring love, if you want to measure love, one of the factors for measuring love is the identity of the lover. The greater the lover, the greater the love. Make sense? So one of the factors for measuring love is the identity of the lover. The greater the lover, the greater the love. That's why I think that David, the psalmist, in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, this is why he would say these words. He would say, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place, what is man you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. So he was looking at the vastness of the universe and he's going, oh my goodness, the creator of the universe thinks thoughts about me and he loves me. So the greater the lover, the greater the love. That's one of the ways that you measure, you measure that, that love. And so he was blown away by that reality. Now, now, when we look at this, for God so loved the world, that word loved, what does that word loved mean? So in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so the Greek has a couple different words for love. It has phileo, which is brotherly love, and you got eros, which is erotic love, and then this particular word, for the, the Greek word is agape. It's unconditional love. For God so loved, agape, unconditional love, a love that has our best interest at heart. 
He has my best interest at heart. So this is what it would look like, something like this. It would say, in essence, God is saying to us this morning, he's saying, I, I accept you as you are. I believe you're valuable. I care when you hurt. I desire what is best for you. I erase all wrongs. I want to fill you with my presence. And then we could go on and on and on. It's just a short list there of what that means, of his unconditional love for us. That he loves us. And this is what you, you need to keep in mind. He doesn't, he doesn't love us. He doesn't love us because we're lovable, okay? He, he doesn't. He loves us in order to make us lovable. He loves us in order to make us lovable. This is a very intimate and very personal kind of love. I love what these dead theologians say about our relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said, said this, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. St. Augustine put it this way, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Very intimate, very personal. I love it. It's amazing. Everybody look up here. This is the love that you were created for. This is the love you have been looking for your whole life. And in fact, no friend love, no parental love, no married love, no popular acclaim love will give you what his love can give you. There's nothing, there's nothing in creation that can give you only the love that the creator can give you. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No pleasure on earth compares with his boundless and irresistible love. And in fact, once you've tasted of his love, once you've tasted of his love, <laughs> you're ruined for anything else. You're shot. I mean, you're not gonna, you, you don't want to settle for anything less than, than what, he, what he has for you. In fact, I gave you a couple verses there, 163.3 of Psalm, Psalm 63.3. His steadfast love, his steadfast love is better than life. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world better than his love. So think about all of the, all the things that we tend to chase. What are you chasing? You chasing, we're, we're all chasing something. We're all thinking, hey, if I could just acquire this, if I could accomplish this, if I could achieve this, it doesn't come close to his love, what we have in him. And then when we experience his love, certainly we can, we can pursue certain things in our lives, but we're not pursuing those things to fill an emptiness inside of us. It's out of an abundance that we have in him. We're not out of desperation clinging to these things in our life because we've found such satisfaction in him. Here's another verse that's on your notes. It's Psalm 90, 14. I think on your notes it's 13, so X through 13 and put 14. And so this is what the psalmist says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. How many want to rejoice and be glad all your days? It's through being satisfied in his love. There's a satisfaction that, that gives us uh, gladness and joy in our lives. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's the next phrase, that he gave his only son. So the greatest lover has given us the greatest gift. That's the next fill in the blank on your notes. The greatest lover has given us the greatest gift. So the first factor for measuring love is the identity of the lover. The greater the lover, the greater the love. The second factor for measuring love is the expression of that love. So the expression of the love. The greater the expression, the greater the love. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so what was the expression of this great lover? He gave us his son. That's pretty amazing. Now, we believe in the Trinity here as Christians, triune, God. God is one in essence, three in person. God the Father, so what's saying? God the Father gave us his son. So what does that mean, he gave us his son? This is what it means, that Jesus came from heaven to earth to die in our place for our sins. That's what it means. So the greatest gift wasn't placed under a tree, but he was hung on a tree. 
That's, that's what this verse is saying to us. So let me ask you this. As a parent, would you be willing, as a parent, would you be willing to give your child to die for your enemy? That would be hard, wouldn't it? And yet that's what the Bible says that God did for us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. When we didn't want to have anything to do with God, he pursued us with his love. And he sent his son to redeem us and to rescue us and to love us. Christmas is about receiving gifts, and some gifts by their very nature make you swallow your pride. And let's just say that you decided to give me a gift this Christmas. It's not a bad idea. In fact, it's just a thought, and uh, I mean, we, one of the reasons why we did these services early is because you got the rest of the day. <laughs> Stores are going to be open till late tonight. I do have a list up here if you want to come up at the end of the service, and I'll give you a list of some things that you can, I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding, but, uh, but let's, just say, let's just say that three of you got me a gift, you wrapped it all up, and you said, you cannot open this until Christmas morning. Oh, Okay. So I took all three of those gifts home, put them up underneath the tree, couldn't hardly sleep all night because I was wondering what you had gotten me. And so, and, and so I, uh, I, get, I get up bright and early the next morning and I open up the first gift, peel the paper back and look at it. And what is it? It's a membership to Hair Club for Men. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing so much? I don't see that being very relevant for me. And then, and I go, okay, well, okay, that's not so bad. I, they mean well. And then I opened up the next gift, and the next gift was a membership to Weight Watchers. <laughs> okay, they've got to get better than this. And certainly, as I opened up the next gift, it's a book. I love books. Books are my favorite. And then I look at the title, and the title is Overcoming Selfishness. <laughs> so if I, if I said, thank you very much, I'm admitting to being bald fat and obnoxious, okay? <laughs> now, as I stated, some gifts by their very nature make you swallow your pride. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride like the gift of Jesus Christ if you understand and live out and walk out the implications of that gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Christmas means that you are so lost and unable to save yourself that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself can save you. That's what Christmas means. That's why he sent his son on a rescue mission to redeem us and to rescue us. That's why Jesus said in 14.6 of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way to God, not a way, the way, the only way to God, the truth about God. You want to get to know God? Get to know Jesus. Read about him in the gospel accounts. And then he said, I'm the very life of God. You want to experience the life of God? It's through through Jesus. It's through Jesus. I love what... uh, Dorothy Sayers has to say here, a British essayist and novelist said this years ago about the incarnation. It kind of helps us to understand this God giving his son to us and what that means with, with God becoming flesh. That's what incarnation means. God became flesh. She says, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing for man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat and despair and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. I like that. 
So for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's, here's what you need to understand. And a lot of people don't even know what the gospel is, okay? If you were to ask the person, what's the gospel? They wouldn't be able to tell you. But here's the essence of the gospel, is that the gospel is not good advice at what you must do to be right with God. See, every other belief system is that. Every other belief system says that. You gotta do these things. If you wanna be right with God, you gotta go through the punch list. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not good advice at what you must do to be right with God. It's good news about what God has done through his son Jesus, what he has done. It's not do, D-O, it's D-O-N-E, it's done. It's good news about what has been done, what God has done to make us right with him. So through Jesus, we are made right, we are made right with him. Not through your performance, not through what you do. You could never do enough. But he has finished the work for you and I so that we have access to God. We can have relationship with God. We can have intimacy with him. We can know the creator of the universe. We can build the foundation of our life on his love. And it it transforms everything about our lives. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. One of the many things that he said, he said a number of things, but he said, it is finished. John 19, 30, this was not a cry of defeat, but of triumph. In essence, he was saying paid in full. What does that mean, paid in full? What did he pay in full? He not only purchased your forgiveness of sins and your ticket to heaven, he also purchased every blessing and every answer to prayer you will ever receive, every one of them, no exceptions. So think about that. So we are completely forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, future, but also our ticket to heaven, so when we die, we go to be with him for all eternity, and then everything in between that, all by God's grace, all by his favor. That, sh- that should overwhelm us when we really understand that and live in the reality of that. So f- For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's the next phrase there, whoever believes in him, the greatest lover has given us the greatest gift, which is the greatest invitation, that's your fill in the blank, which is the greatest invitation. So factors for measuring love, once again, the identity of the lover and the expression of that love. So the greater the identity of the lover, the greater the love, the greater the expression of the love, the greater the love, we see that in those first two phrases, and now this third phrase gives us the third factor. The third and the fourth phrase actually give us the third factor for measuring love, and that is the object of the love. So you got the identity of the lover, you got the expression of that, that lover, and then now you've got the object of the love. The lesser the object, the greater the love. We're the object of his love, and the, the, the lesser the object, the greater the, greater the love. How much lesser are we to God? Quite a bit. I, I know some, it takes some of us a little while because some of us think we are God, okay? I understand that. We, we tend to pretend that. And the essence of sin is trying to take God's place and try to play God. I understand all that. But when you really understand the God of the galaxies, the God of the Bible, oh my goodness. He, he's the creator. We're the created. He's infinite, no beginning, no ending. That's a mind blower. And we're finite. He's holy. He's perfect. The the word holy means he, he has no competitors. He's perfect in every way, everything that he does. He's holy, 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 the Bible says, Isaiah 6. We're sinful. So the vastness between us is is overwhelming. And so the more I understand that, understand the grace of God in in all of that, the more I realize, the more you realize how little you deserve and yet how much you have received from God, the more more his love for you will overwhelm you. And if you're not overwhelmed with his love, it's because you don't understand. You might struggle with a little bit of entitlement. It's called pride, and the pride gets in the way. But I'm telling you, the more you understand how little you deserve, and yet how much you've received of his grace? See, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're way off the mark. We're a mess. I mean, just look around at our culture. Look at this world. It's fallen. It's broken. It's busted up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says, for the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That means separation from God. 
that we're separated from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So notice this, it's not, it's, not, it's not whoever gets their act together, it's not whoever gets their act together or lives a moral life or meets the standards for acceptance. That's not what it said. But whoever, whoever does what? Whoever does what? What was it? Whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes in him. So what are you saying, Pastor Ray? I just have to believe? Yeah, yeah but you gotta understand what belief is. But, but what, is, what is this belief? What does that mean? Um, my wife and I, we work out at uh, Speed and Strength University, and we have a personal trainer. We're kind of in a group, and, and while we were working out uh, on Friday, um, we heard on the, we had the radio. The radio is usually playing. They got music playing. This time, they had Christmas music playing, and the song on the radio was Santa Claus is Coming to Town. You guys familiar with the song? <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not. You better not. Because I'm telling you why, why? Santa Claus is coming to town. Okay, there you go. And I'm thinking, I was thinking about that, and then there was the part of that song that came up, and I, I remember the song. The part of that song is said, uh, he knows when you are, he knows when you're, that freaks me out. <laughs> what the heck, is he looking through my windows? Santa Claus is creepy. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. But the, how does the rest of that song go? He knows when you are, so be good. He's nothing like Jesus, okay? I mean, when you think about it, so I, I'm not gonna ask you for a raise of hands of how many parents have used that to threaten their kids <laughs> before Christmas. You better get your act together. You're not getting nothing for Christmas. And I know there's appropriate way of, you know, uh, of discipline. I understand that, but that's, that's Santa... He's motivating, out of, uh, motivating out of, uh, us out of fear and pride, okay? It doesn't last. It's not good motivation. Jesus doesn't do that, okay? Because sometimes people confuse Jesus and Santa Claus. They think they're one and the same in, in, in the way that Jesus relates to us. Like, hey, you better get your act together or I'm not going to bless you. That's not, the, that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't say obey obey, and then you'll get his blessing. That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you have his blessing through Jesus Christ. Therefore, why in the world wouldn't you want to obey? He's not holding out on you. The only reason why you wouldn't obey is because you believe the lie, once again, going all the way back to the garden, that he's holding out on you. And you actually kind of think that you're smarter than him. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, it's called pride. And that's the only reason why that's the only reason why you would ever go that route. He's not holding out on you. He loves you. Now, I understand. I understand that once we've come into that love and we still can do some crazy things, yeah, there are consequences to all of that, and there is continued blessing when we continue to follow him. I understand that. But initially, it's preemptive love. He comes after us. He pours so much love into our lives and we're overwhelmed, and of course we want to follow him. Of course we want to live, live for his glory. But we've got to understand this whole idea of, of what, what it means to believe. But whoever, whoever believes, who's the whoever? Who's the whoever here? It's, it's you and I. It's all of us. Whoever, whoever. It doesn't matter your race or gender or social status or morality. Whoever believes in him, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or what's been done to you. It's whoever, whoever believes in him. Of course, we've got to define what that means to believe in him. Hebrews 11, chapter 11 is the faith chapter. It kind of helps us to understand that. It starts off that 11.1, and then 11.6 kind of helps us with that also. But 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What do we hope for? Well, the Bible uses the word hope different than the way we use the word hope. We use the word hope with I'm wishful thinking, but the Bible uses the word hope is not wishful thinking, but I know so. It's not I hope so, but I know so. This is what I know for sure, that he loves me and he has my best interest at heart. See, that's, that's what faith is, and I'm, and I'm living for him and for his glory. In fact, it tells us in uh, Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to him, if you want to have relationship with him, must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
And so what is faith? It's, it's not just some general belief in the existence. That means I have people say, oh, I believe in God. Some of my firefighter friends would say, oh, oh y'all, I believe in God. Most people do believe in God. Well, it's not just some general belief in God. No, it's, it's truth. It's truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ that enters the head, ignites the heart, and outworks through your hands. It, it changes your life. Head, heart, hands transforms you. It's, it's, uh, it's not a one-time event, but a lifelong, ongoing, growing relationship with God. Unbelief just it's, it means to shrug at God. I don't need God. My life's okay without God. Unbelief is not failing to believe that he exists, but that he matters more than anything. That's, that's unbelief. Bel See, belief isn't, just, belief isn't just an agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. See, it, it begins to dawn on you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, oh my goodness, the greatest invitation of all. What is this all about? It begins to dawn on you that in him, he is the greatest treasure and the deepest pleasure in life. That knowing him is life's most satisfying reality. And that there is nothing in creation, nothing in creation that can give you what only the creator can give you. Knowing him, walking with him, experiencing him. That's, that's what that means. That's what it means to believe. Your heart is ravished by his love. As I've often used here, your heart is smitten by the God of the galaxies who came to rescue you and redeem you and love you. And of course, that's gonna change you. It's gonna transform your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's where the change comes. The greatest lover has given us the greatest gift, which is the greatest invitation to the greatest life. The greatest life, that's your, your fill in the blank there, the greatest life, the greatest life we could ever live. He says, should not perish. All the sin and suffering on this planet is symptomatic of our rebellion and subsequent separation from God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We rebelled against God. We're separated from God. But if you receive his love, you will not perish, but have eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus defined for us what eternal life is. It's more than just a quantity of life. We want to know that when we die, we go to be with him. For all eternity, we go to heaven. But it's more than that. It's a quality of life where we get a, a slice of heaven on earth through this intimate relationship we have with him. So 17, 3 of John, uh, Jesus says, for this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have, whom you have sent. So intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. So when you, by grace through faith in Jesus, make your home in his love and are regularly swept up into loving encounters with God through, through his word, through Bible study and prayer and fellowship in a local church family, the more your life will be characterized by this by this quality of life. You can define it with the fruit of the Spirit. That's one list in the Bible, Galatians 5, and 23. It's love, joy, peace. In spite of what's going on in your life, the list goes on beyond just those three. And so your life is more and more characterized by, by love, joy, peace. You begin to experience that in your life I mean, unlike you could experience anything else in life. In fact, intimacy with God gives you a quality of life, a love, joy, and peace, a meaning, hope, and happiness. Everybody look up here. You gotta get this. Knowing God intimately gives you a quality of life that all the success in this world can never give you. Whatever it is you're chasing, it'll never be enough, and it'll never, it'll never even come close to what only he can give you, the quality of life that can be found in knowing him. Oh, by the way, not only, not only does it go beyond all the success in this world, but even you can never lose this quality of life regardless of how much you suffer and in fact, let me say it again, intimacy with God gives you a quality of life that all the success in this world can't give you and all the suffering in this world can never take it from you. 
all the suffering in this world, regardless of what you go through. And in fact, it just fortifies you through the suffering, his presence, his power, his peace, all of who he is. He gives you exactly what you need to get through whatever you're going through. It's amazing, stunning. So as far as I know, Larry never opened his heart to God's love and he continued to bury his inconsolable his inconsolable human longing that we all struggle with that only ultimately God can satisfy. He continued to, to bury all of that with alcohol. He was a horrible alcoholic. And then later on, he went through a divorce that just devastated him. So why would we ever need to fear or envy or despair if we knew and experienced the riches of his love for us? Let me be honest, I struggle with this just like anybody else, but the more than I would like to admit, many of my most difficult emotions, bad attitudes, foolish actions come from not living in the reality of his love for me. That's why we're gonna sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That's what we need, that's our cry. That's the cry of our heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. Let's pray. If you've never made a confession of faith, maybe you would like to renew your confession of faith in Jesus this morning. This would be a great time. So let's pray. Father, thank you. You are the greatest lover. You're the greatest lover that has given us the greatest gift, your son, which is the greatest invitation to the greatest life we could ever live. And it tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so... With the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So God, we do that this morning. With our heart, we believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe in all that he's done for us. We believe in, in John 3.16, that you loved us so much, you sent your son on a rescue mission to rescue us and to reconcile us to you. And, and, and with our mouth, we confess him as our Savior and Lord and want to live for his glory all the days of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in this Advent season, we have uh, watched and we have waited in hope. That was the first candle we lit for peace in joy and love. And now we light the Christ candle who brings all of that to us. And so it tells us in Isaiah chapter nine, verses two through seven, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who, who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramp, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You're probably more familiar with this, second, this next section here in this text. I love it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen. Next weekend, you don't want to miss, we wrap up our, our long teaching series through the, the gospel of Luke, Certainty in a World of Doubt, and we end uh, with, it's Jesus is resurrected now, and now he's going to, getting ready to, to ascend to heaven. He's going to commission his disciples. We're calling it Unshakable 2018. If you want to be unshakable in 2018, come back next week as we wrap up that study. I'll be giving you really the how-to, how you can be content, courageous, and compassionate in spite of your circumstances. So that's where we're headed with our study. Would you stand with us as we conclude our time together with joy to the world? Love you guys. Merry Christmas.